Hello, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Healthy Metaverse. I'm extremely excited about this episode. I think for the first time that we can hear the perspective of a patient and why she believes is a game changer for the healthcare arena. Hi, Danielle, you want to introduce yourself briefly and then we'll take it away? Thanks for having me, Iran. Listeners, my name is Danielle Collins. I'm so excited to be with you today. As Iran spoke on briefly, I was a former patient that I'll talk on my story a little bit, but former brain surgery patient and have used VR in a number of different ways, including running a foundation because I became such an advocate of the way VR is being used throughout healthcare. Excited to be with you here today. And I hope something we say today sparks a little bit of interest and you go check out VR for yourself. So actually let's dive right in and maybe you can share when was the first time you heard about VR and why you thought it's relevant for your specific use. Like many people listening today, the first time I heard about VR, virtual reality technology, was very different than the first time I actually heard about it being used for healthcare. So relevant to this conversation, VR being used for healthcare, I was a patient in the ICU and I was undergoing brain surgery for a brain bleed that happened in June, 2017. And I was, my headache was subsiding and I couldn't understand why they were gonna have to cut open my head basically to have life-threatening brain surgery to save my life. I just couldn't get it because I was starting to feel better. They wheeled in a VR consult and I put the headset on. My surgeon asked me if I was ready to fly. And in that instant, I was immediately transported inside my brain. I'm talking, I got the Superman view of every single vessel, artery, the bleed that was caused from an AVM. And I was flying through my brain, going over the plan of care with my neurosurgeon. It was absolutely fascinating. I don't want to say mind-blowing because that had already happened, but I was flying inside my brain and I finally, I was able to have agency in my healthcare decision. A lot of times when something happens to us, we don't have agency in that decision. We're just left trying to pick up the pieces and deal with what's ahead. But in this, I actually was a part of the plan of care and I was able to ask intelligent questions as he walked through the pathology with me in real time from the vantage point of what he can do in his mind's eye as a surgeon, but me as a patient, it was the first time I had ever seen something like that. Just for the audience listening, there are two different, I think, main or three actually main use cases of how to use VR. In the previous episode, we were talking mainly about the therapeutic side, which we'll get to in a sec. But I think what you're describing here is a very interesting use case where we can actually use the VR to show the patient things that are very hard to explain using images or words. And then I think that by doing so, we can make sure that the patient is part of the process. One of the biggest challenges today that you don't actually know how the process looks like. And, and I think that's a very powerful tool to make sure that the patients are engaged, understand how the procedure will look like. So in my experience, and I'll add to what you said, because in my experience as a patient, it did, it absolutely opened up the lens and not to be trite, but it opened up the lens of what I was able to see in my healthcare journey and what I was able to really understand as a patient who had no medical background, who had no medical training. I was finally on the same level, at least from what I could see as the doctor. And so we were able to have a real dialogue with each other about what the medical plan was going to be because I fully understood what I was looking at. It wasn't a black and white image. It was live and in color. And I was able to fly through using a joystick 
and able to go to the areas and ask the questions, hey, what is this? Why is this vein larger than the others? Where's the inflow of blood, the outflow of blood? And what I'll add to what you first said, it not only helped me as a patient, but it gave me comfort knowing that my doctors actually had a way now to rehearse my surgery before ever cutting me open. And that's powerful. So it's not only a tool for patient engagement, this particular type of VR that I was using, a company named Surgical Theater, it also helped me understand as a patient that my neurosurgeon was going to be practicing and rehearsing the surgery in VR multiple times before he ever cut me open so that he could make sure his plan of approach was the best one for my patient-specific anatomy. I think that the, for simulation, and there are, by the way, amazing companies out there really doing amazing simulation. One of them is, as you mentioned, surgical theater, the fundamental VR, and also VR. That's, and to name a few, again, there are others. I think that's like they're... As a patient, I would like my surgeon to, to trial before he's actually like doing mm -hmm. the action. And one of the researches that I read is that it's true for practicing before a specific operation, but also for training. And one of the mind-blowing data points that I saw is that practicing or training a surgeon in VR takes, or it's like you can train them 10 times faster to the standard practice of reading from a book. Just by the fact that we are all living in a 3D environment and we need just doing that over and over by the 10 time, you just, you'll do it far better. Now it's, you, it's yeah. faster. I was going to say it's faster training, right? The learning, because you're using all of the learning processing centers in your brain okay. to get technical with it. Like you're activating all five learning centers of your brain in synchronicity. And so the feedback loop of actually regaining this technology and learning how to do this in VR, like you said, it speeds up the process, but also from a scalability standpoint, mm -hmm. you're able to then sh just ship out a class full of headsets to a residency or an incoming medical class. And they're able to, in real time, scale what they would have otherwise been having to ration off for OR experience. You now have the best seat in the OR from your living room, from your classroom, from wherever it may be that you're popping on the headset and able to immerse yourself in the case in real time. Uh, I think that it's not, we're not far from a point that would be like a mandatory, the way that you need to train, by the way, it's, in healthcare, it's very straightforward because you need highly specialized physicians, right? It's like, it's mm -hmm. a very highly specialized profession. And that's exactly where VR can make the 10x effect and then but for me at least when you're introducing new technology to the market it has to be 10 times better than what's out there because all of us regardless to what we're doing we like to stick to what we know mm -hmm. and if you want to create a dis disruptions like and change workflows especially in healthcare your solution need to be 10 times better than what is uh, it's not it's not enough to be like slightly better and I think, again, specifically for training and training surgeons, I think that's VR is just 10 times better than what's out there. Don't you and think COVID also gave us a perfect platform and opportunity? I talk so many about so much about the negative things that came from mm -hmm. COVID. Just to focus for a second, not to say that it wasn't and isn't a horrible thing, but just the positives that have come from it. We now have the ability to actually focus on, okay, travel costs for people to join live surgeries or germs and different things like they're limiting the number of people in the ORs. They're really focusing on travel budgets and all these things. And legislation has moved a lot of these virtual healthcare consults 
and everything forward. Now insurance payers are finally getting on board with reimbursing for them. So it's becoming more widely available, not only to the institutions, but to the individuals and the population at large, which I think COVID really paved the way for, and that's powerful. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that if there is an upside for this is forces healthcare providers and insurance companies to adopt new technologies because they had no choice or we had no choice. But I think now more and more people understand that technology can make a very big impact on patients' lives, on physician workload. I liken it to this. We all possess, and we'll just use the iPhone as an example, in our pockets for you mm-hmm. iPhone users or Apple, Apple users. We all have sitting in our pocket or on our desk an iPhone that at one point in time during our lifetime, no one could have even dreamed that that technology would exist. We had the flip phones, the black and white, the analog, like it was very old school compared to what we're using today, but now it's a mainstay. And I think we're on this cutting edge of this disruptive technology that will be a mainstay in healthcare for many decades and generations to come. And we're, it's exciting that we're right on the cusp of seeing how these are infiltrating healthcare today. So I want to challenge you a bit because I'm, again, struggling with that question. What's holding back the industry from adopting this type of technology? I think a lot of it has to do with knowledge. We're seeing a lot of these companies that are disrupting the industry. They started off small. They were startups and they were founders with great ideas like yourself that had come from backgrounds that necessarily weren't in VR technology or even engineering, sure, but other different backgrounds. And so I think a lot of it came with, we have this amazing idea, let's pioneer it, let's get these clinical trials underway to prove the efficacy for it. The marketing budgets were slim. And so when you're left with that, you don't have this robust way to make the product a mainstream like Apple did or an HP or a Samsung or thing. They just have larger marketing budgets. I'll give an example. I was in a doctor's appointment with my younger son today and his pediatrician, who I would consider a very, very renowned pediatrician in the DMV area, she had never heard of VR technology in healthcare. And even that trained at Georgetown clinical residency there, she has all the credentials, but yet it's just a lack of knowledge. And it isn't because the technologies don't exist. It isn't because they're not efficacious. It isn't because they don't solve the problem. And they aren't, like you said, 10x better than the original solution. It's because people just don't know about them. And hopefully this podcast will be a slight disruptor in its own right, of sharing the news with clinicians, mainstream population and the like. That's that's very interesting because I'm like, I'm trying to figure out if, because all of us are now doing market education, right? We are not, I think we are not in the marketing stage. We are really in the market education phase. And as you rightly said, like market education just costs a lot of money. Also is about marketing something that traditional mediums, mediums mm-hmm. don't rightfully capture. And I say that because you talk about it like this podcast, sure, but people are going to need to see this. And how do you capture the entire VR experience and sum it up in like a 30 second infomercial or commercial on television? Like it has to be a visual thing. Patient stories are powerful. They have to see lives being changed and they also have to know where it's accessible. I've said for many years that we need a heat map, a pipeline of all the technologies in your local area that are offered from physical therapy to surgical planning to et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There could be one for industry and then one for public facing as well. So that you can log on, you can put in your zip code and it can populate all the physical therapy clinics around you or virtually that are available to you that you could be using VR technology. So the access is there. It's just about knowledge of access. I completely agree. And one of the things that I think we need to do better as an industry, by the way, we are very fragmented. 
right? A lot of players are doing amazing stuff, but it's very hard, right? Because we are competing as an industry right. uh, against all the other players that are doing things that are not VR, right? And it's very hard to create any type of coherent voice out there. I think uh, in the next couple of years, we'll need to find ways to join forces, to leverage uh, each other capabilities. So all of us as an industry will be able to push this forward. Um, like a key piece to Iran is going to be getting the medical universities involved. If you can train the next generation of surgeons, doctors, et cetera, using these technologies and then leverage them in the educational component of medical school and residency, then it will be something that just is naturally in the curriculum, in the minds of these doctors moving forward. And so offering that to patients, it's not a sell once they already have established their medical career. It's actually a part of intrinsically how they were trained in many ways, and then what they make available using physical therapy or rehabilitation, occupational therapy, surgical training, name it, maternal and fetal health, live streaming surgeries, the list goes on and on, mental health or psychiatry. And there's so many different ways VR is being used. And I think it needs to be a part of the initial training so that it can proliferate organically on its own. The only problem that I, it's not that it's not important. I think it's highly important that medical schools will start their students about this technology. The problem is until those physicians will get to a point that there are decision makers in those facilities, that will take time. We need different ways to convince those facilities that you know at least try this technology to a greater i think extent than just a pilot here and pilot there i think that our industry today is still heavily dependent on the innovators it's like there there are those like pockets of very innovative physicians or facilities but to transition from there to and i'm not even talking about mass adoption just adoption we still have a lot of uh, way to go and maybe by the way to convince the healthcare facilities through the consumer and through the patient. And maybe with that, I'll be happy if you can tell us a little bit about your activity and what you've been doing after you completed successfully your operation and uh, found VR to be very relevant. So after my brain surgery, of which I was actually the first, one of the first patients at George Washington University Hospital to use this type of VR technology during my brain surgery, I was so blown away by it and so interested, quite frankly, to know how else VR could be used. I believe I flew to Boston and I met with you and I've met with others within the industry and I co-founded a foundation, Empower360, in which we really were trying to pull together philanthropists, investors, as well as grateful patients who wanted to move VR in the healthcare arena forward. And a lot of the barriers, which you've already touched on in so few words, is money. And it's how do we provide the funding for these technologies to be widely adopted? Because it does take a decision maker of a hospital. It also takes rewriting a budget line of a hospital budget to make sure that this is part of what they see as a value add and a return on investment. Our foundation did just that. Since my patient's story, using it for brain surgery, I also had a family member who was diagnosed with Parkinson's, who's been doing all the rehabilitation exercises and trying to make sure that his disease doesn't progress. In such, he could be using many of the VR technologies, including yours, to be helping with that journey in memory retention and cognitive retraining and ability, as well as when I was pregnant with my now 18-month-old son, I used Nurture VR, a different technology 
that allowed me from 27 weeks through eight weeks postpartum to have some of the some curated of the best providers around the nation lectures meditations breastfeeding lactation consultants you name it all through a program in VR that I followed from, like I said, week 27 of pregnancy through eight weeks postpartum. I was even meditating on a beach when I was giving birth to my son. It was far better than looking at the hospital walls, pushing him out. But I just, I think that there's so much room for these technologies to grow. I think there's so much room for it to expand, but part of my story has always been, how do we connect the people with the money, with the patients who really believe in this, with the patients who have used this, and make it so that these technologies don't have the barrier to entry that's financially restricting them. I think that's, by the way, our biggest challenge today. Um, it, there isn't, a, I think, a single piece in the process of a patient when from the, even from the diagnostics phase all the way to full recovery that you cannot implement VR and it will make an impact. Any piece in this puzzle, I can plug in VR. VR can play a role in that process and will make an impact. The main question is, again, how do we let more people know that's the case and how do we enable them to use VR in an easy to digest way? And that's a big challenge. And again, I think we need to work together as an industry to try to figure that out. I think it would be really powerful to see a docu-series, like on Netflix, a docu-series of three or four individual patients and going down their journey, like through the medical care continuum from inpatient to post-op to surgical rehabilitation to physical therapy. And maybe in the course of all that, they develop a mental health condition of anxiety or depression and seeing how that can be used for that. And then maybe down the line, they get pregnant, follow their journey the whole way. And like you said, plug in VR at every single given point and show the mass public how lives are being changed, but let them watch it like they would any other show on a Saturday night on Netflix. The mind-blowing idea, really. It's like, this is uh, exactly, I think, the kind of things we need to do as an industry. Uh, about partnering. It's not about being siloed. Sure, yeah. you have competitors in the industry, but as a rising tide rises all ships. Mm-hmm. We really, really do want your peers and your, your colleagues to succeed because when they succeed, you succeed. And if VR can become a mainstay for physical therapy, it can also become a mainstay for mental health or surgical planning or whatever that use application is. And so partner on this documentary, come together, chip in money, each individual company, the patient, the hospital that's involved or being shown, the hardware, the HPs, the Samsungs, the Apples, like come put money in the pot. Let's make something incredible and let's show the public how this is changing lives around the world. Yeah, I completely agree. That's a great idea. Now I need to think how we are making this happen. And hopefully someone listening today will just call yeah, you way, say, hey, Iran, let me write the check. Let's start exactly. this. I'll be exactly best in this. <laughs> exactly. By the way, I have no doubt it will happen. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time and resources. The fact that it's so powerful and this tool can change people's lives, it's just we cannot allow it to not be successful. There are so many people need help out there and this technology can make an impact for them. And as you said, they just don't know it exists. That's like the biggest challenge today. Any questions you want to ask me or about extra health or general or anything, any topic that you want to talk about? Yeah, I would love to know how, why, how, and how it's going with the pivot from the traditional to consumer 
use mm-hmm. of XR Health for many different applications, many cognitive, mental rehabilitation, physical rehabilitation, but the virtual care clinics and why the pivot, how that's been working out for you, et cetera, et cetera. So that actually goes back to the our previous conversation and maybe just for the audience, because I haven't talked about it at all in the previous episodes. So we started out as a B2B business. We first application was for Whiplash and then we expanded to other physical therapy applications and we were able to sell to, let's say, a few hospitals in the US, a few hospitals in, in Israel. But we were never able to actually scale the business, mainly because we understood that it's very hard to change workflow in a hospital. And VR, even today, especially four years ago, but even today, you still need to be a believer in order to implement this technology and change workflow, right? Because it takes time, even though at some point we had a goal of less than 10 seconds for a patient to enter VR, it's still a lot of hassle to make sure it's connected to Wi-Fi and you need to sanitize. It's like there's a lot of not sexy stuff you need to deal with in order to make a VR relevant in a healthcare setting. And we just failed over and over. We had a very successful pilots, happy patients, but it's it only happened when we were hands-on. We helped the facility to make sure this is happening. Once we took a step back and they went back to their daily routines they usually stuff the headset in a in the closet and forgot all about it and then we said we know it's working we've been treating patient or seeing great results over the years and so okay the only way to implement this technology is to control everything and to make sure that the vr is not just a sidekick as a product and competing with other devices out there this is the center of the delivery care modality and then we decided to open the extra health clinics so that's the background uh, why we started those clinics and so we've been operating those clinics for two years now and we treated over five thousand patients already conducted wow. over two hundred thousand vr treatments we are now doing a vr treatment every seven minutes Amazing. but Having said that, we are still struggling to recruit new patients. Like it's still very complex to explain to patients why they need to sign up for a VR clinic and not go to a brick and water clinic. And I think what's really amazing is that once patients are in and starting the VR treatment, that's like we have NPS score. I think there is not a single healthcare company that has those types of NPS scores. The amount of positive feedback that we are getting, not just on the experience side, but also on the patient outcome side. We have patients telling us they are reaching out to the headset instead of reaching out to the painkillers or instead of taking Mm -hmm. anxiety meds. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about hundreds of patients already that we've seen the same type of feedback and results. But still, to recruit the new patient, that's an uphill battle. And I think that's now the missing piece in the puzzle that we need to unlock in order to actually make sure that everyone understands that this is very effective and can help a lot of people. Where have you historically had the most success recruiting these patients? Use case, you mean? Or just success, like success recruiting the patients where historically. So we are still doing social media, Facebook ads and Google ads. That's still our main channel. But we are now looking into partnering with employers and health plans and different like primary care that, you know, 
networks that have the needs of downstream specialty type of services. Uh, but everything in the healthcare takes time. It's like, it's not a quick win. I think that's why healthcare is a very hard market for startups. You need to not just prove to everyone that you are legit using clinical trials and outcomes, but you also need to operate in a very highly regulated environment. And then that costs a lot of money. So again, it's, I think healthcare, even though it's the biggest market by far, for startups, it's the, also the hardest one to actually unlock. It'd be interesting to really target the patient population through EAPs, employee assistance programs, some major companies like a Northrop Grumman or a Boeing or a Home Depot, the places that have large EAPs within them. Because the whole nature, for those of you listening, of I'm a clinical social worker by trade who specialized in EAPs. But the whole nature of them, it's short-term based therapy for an outside referral to whatever they may need past that short time. So if you can capture the patient there and get them started offering VR as a service that then could follow them home, that then becomes the referral. Mm -hmm. I think that would be interesting. You could even brand these VR clinics specifically for that EAP of Northrop Grumman, of Boeing, of the Home Depot, et cetera, for whatever their needs may be or the offerings that they may have traditionally done in-house with a clinician, maybe you could brand that for that company and have that offered to the thousands of workers that they already employ. And there's your patient pool right there. Yeah, completely agree. I think the only challenge is now those organizations are bombarded with digital health companies with different solutions, right? And because it's not really a regulated space and the person that is in charge of making decisions in those organizations, they have other things you know, on their agenda, not just decodes and reimbursement, right? It's a different type of modality. It's it just uh, it's a very crowded space. It's not that I'm not. I don't think it's the right one for us. Also, it's just a different type of approach. And I also think that, and we'll see. But uh, there are a lot of companies that I think have been very successful in this arena in a zero interest environment where everyone were optimizing for top line. So the organization was willing to pay. X amount of money, but when you're looking at unit economics, if that's really covering the cost of the clinician and the treatment, I'm not sure it's sure. really there. I think that's another challenge that they'll need to understand uh, as an industry or the digital health industry will need to figure out in this new world that we are living in, which money is not free anymore. Mm -hmm. yeah, but again, I completely agree. I think we need to try as broad as we can mm -hmm. in different types of go-to-market strategy to understand where we see the best fit. By the way, in the US, just I'm not sure that I mentioned that, currently we are targeting Medicare population, chronic pain conditions. That's like where that's from all the use cases where we saw like a very good clinical outcomes, very good results. So that's currently our focus, but hopefully next year we'll, we'll try different activities that are broader, because I do believe that we're just scrapping the surface you know, with the potential use cases that are out there. Sure. And I think, I think the marketing strategy also for any of these companies should be in line with the patient population that you're targeting. If you're using more traditional forms of social media, like if you're targeting a Medicare population of people with chronic pain, that might necessarily not translate to people that are actively on their phone, engaging with Instagram every day. Yeah. But um, I do think social media is powerful. And I think that as much as you can do a campaign around share your personal VR 
story. Let the patients be your advocates. Let the patients be your marketers. It's a no cost solution, but it's powerful to have a campaign like that. Even a simple hashtag can catch on like wildfire. And all of a sudden you have a million posts under one single hashtag of VR patient journey. So that's, that's funny that you say that. We are about to launch exactly that, hopefully just after Christmas, because I think that's by far the most powerful tool. I think, again, looking back at the, where we can make an impact, and again, when I'm saying we, just it's not just the extra health. We have as an industry a problem to let people know how powerful VR is. But once someone is already in and they are, they see that for themselves and experience VR, we need to find a way as an industry to have more ambassadors. And those yeah. patients are the best ambassadors. They will do by far a better job than me trying mm-hmm. to explain how VR is impactful. And we have to enable them to do that. I think that's a very important piece in the puzzle that we need to unlock. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. As a patient, that's how my journey even started was I am obsessed with this. I want to know more. I'm intrigued by this. How do I get involved? That was the question that I first and foremost had. And if you can give these patients like me a menu of ways that they can get involved, whether that's sharing their patient journey, whether it's speaking at a local pain conference or whatever the use case is, sharing their story on social media, being a part of the pipe dream of the Netflix documentary, et cetera, et cetera. They're able to feel like they're taking some agency in becoming involved in pushing this industry forward for a product that has worked for them. It was a very interesting conversation. I want to thank you for your time and your support of being a VR believer and an advocate for the industry. All I can say is go out and buy a VR headset and try it for yourself thank you everyone for listening that was the third episode of the healthy metaverse i hope you enjoyed the episode and if you want to be a part of the uh, ecosystem and help us uh, promote please reach out uh, to me danielle to anyone in the vr industry but and we encourage you to take part of this amazing journey that we are in thank you very much thank you